Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to get started today in a message talking about trust. Say trust. Now, we have this thing that's plastered. I think it's still on. Has anyone used regular cash anymore? Does it say in God we trust still? Right. Whether we believe it or not, it says it, right? In God we trust. And so the question that I really want to ask this morning is this. Can you trust God? Don't answer me. Because I know the Sunday morning easy answer is like, yes, I can. Hallelujah. Amen. But, but I'm asking a serious question this morning. Can we trust God? And I say this for a reason because can I just be very honest with you right now? I know that I'm a pastor, but you know there are times that I actually struggle and I find it hard to trust God. I'm just being honest. Anyone else here? That question, can I trust God? Can you trust God? What is the answer to that? And I think, I think all of us at some point in our life could say, I'm not sure. I'm finding this hard right now. Can you relate? And so it's in times like this that, you know, even though, listen, I love God. I believe in God. I've had people who um, actually are friends of mine who, who are atheists. Some have actually become agnostic and some are actually going, okay, maybe there's something to this now. That's why you have friendships with everybody. It's awesome, right? But, but I have atheist you know, people who would say, how can you believe in this, this God that you can't see? And it simply comes down to one word, trust. It's faith. And so for me... I don't ever try to prove that there's a God. I know people are out there and, you know, with apologetics and let's prove. But let's be honest, you can't prove there's a God. But in my heart of hearts, that knower, that knowing, with the experiences that I've had in my life, I would say with conviction that there is a God. And I believe in God. And that's, that could be my opinion, maybe not yours. But I believe this to be true. So even though I know that God loves me and that I love God and that I believe in God, sometimes I can feel uneasy about the future. Come on, anyone here with me? Sometimes we can feel uneasy about the future, especially with what we've gone through in the last couple years. Things haven't seemed, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just, Just flowing naturally, okay. It just seems kind of off kilter. It feels a little bit off balance. And so for me, I can worry about maybe, you know, my financial future. I can worry about my kids' financial future and their success in life. Uh, I could take on the worries of running a church and a ministry because that's a whole animal in itself. You know, if you haven't done it, you don't know. But anyone who's ever been in ministry understands that that's a whole different stress or or, um, something that you can take upon your shoulders. Uh, maybe I'm in turmoil of, uh, about my grandkids or my kids and maybe their emotional state and what's going on at school and what's happened with them. Because there's all these things that are coming at us from all different ways. And so let's even take it outside of this family or financial realm. What about the tension in our country, let alone this world? There's just this tension. Do you feel it? If you spend any amount of time on social media, you feel it. You see it. That's why I don't. I've, I've, I've disengaged from that, and man, there's so much freedom in that. But even when you do, there's so many things coming at you all the time that you have to make a choice, don't you? And sometimes that choice is, God, do I really trust you through all this? I mean, how do, you know, 
I effectively navigate through racial tension or political division? Let's make it personal with you. What are your what ifs in life? Think about that, right? If you thought, what if, what if I, what if the wrong person was elected? What if I voted for the wrong person? What if I lost my job? What if I get sick? I mean, we've all thought these thoughts. And so what are your what ifs? But I believe that you're just like me. Part of it's because you're here this morning. Whether it's here in person or on live stream, you're here this morning for a reason. I believe that we're a lot alike and that we want to trust God with our life, with all the different facets of our life. But how do you trust in a God that you can't see? You ever thought about that? I'm not talking on a Sunday morning because on a Sunday morning we get pretty stirred up, you know, to focus on this God who we worship and serve. But sometimes through the week, we could feel a little differently on that, depending on what's coming and what's going, right? So think about this. How do we trust a God that we can't see against the backdrop, think about this, of all the craziness that we can see? Because, you know, there's this tangible world right around us. And now I know we're told to walk by faith and not by sight, right? To not be led by our feelings. But let's be honest, we see things, we feel things. And so it's in those moments we have to say, okay, God, do I truly trust you? Let's, let's take that just a little bit deeper. Who, how do I trust God? Think about this. How do I trust God when I did trust him, maybe at a specific point, and he didn't do what I asked him to do? Ever been there? You're like, I want to trust you, but there's times I have, and it doesn't seem like you were even listening, let alone doing what I asked you to do. You could have done it, but you didn't. I'm just being real this morning. And I think it's a fair question. In fact, you know the beauty of this relationship with God is that questions are okay. How do I know this? Because I look all through Scripture, and God is being questioned all the time. And he's not mad about it. And, and sometimes he answers right away. Sometimes it takes some time. Sometimes we're not sure. There's that, that level of mystery that the apostles and you know, even the early church fathers talk about. We have to have this. We have to be comfortable sometimes with just walking by faith and trust and just leaving mystery. Right? That's one thing that really helped bring freedom to my life as a pastor. Because especially in the the denominational background I came up in, the pastor was supposed to have all the answers. I'm not saying that's right, but you almost felt as if you have to have the answer. So when someone asks me a question, it's like, sometimes if I didn't know, I'm racking my brain. What do I say? What, what spiritual input can I, can I do? But, you know, the most freedom I ever experienced is the first time I was able to say, I don't know. I know that might sound crazy, but it was, there was so much freedom to say, I don't know, because I don't know all. I can't see all. I don't know the future. But there are those things that we can know in our heart of hearts, and one of those is trust in God. So, again, the question is, can you trust God? Say that with me. Can you trust God? Make it personal. Can I trust God? And so what I want to do today is I want to give us two prayers to build your trust. Two prayers, two things that you can say. How many know prayer is just conversation? Um, I, I've heard several pastors say this, that sometimes the best prayer we can pray is, help, <laughs> right? Because you're casting your care on him saying, I don't have the answer, I, I need an answer, and we're connected, so I'm counting on you, right? But I want to give us two prayers to build our trust today, and I want to start out here in Luke 
chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and just a little backstory here. Uh, Jesus was preaching and teaching, and he's on the, the shores of the lake of Gennesaret. And there's these fishermen who were fishing in the lake. This is part of their business. This is what they've done, many of them for generations. It's a family business. And so this crowd begins to accumulate on the shores to the point where Jesus realizes, I just, I can't stand on, on the shoreline anymore. I have to be on the water. Well, I mean, obviously we know he can walk on water, but instead of doing that, he sees these fishermen who are uh, sitting there and they're at the end of a very stressful day. In fact, an entire night, there was these two fishing boats, it says here in, in the gospel of Luke. And the fishermen at this time were cleaning their nets. Now, this cleaning their nets would mean that they're done for the day, they're done for the evening, right? We're cleaning stuff so we can put it away. And so he goes to the boat that belongs to Simon. We call him Simon Peter, who eventually becomes the Apostle Peter. He, he is a follower of Jesus eventually. And he says to him, can you take me out on the water? Because I want to continue speaking to the people, but I can't on the shore. Now, there's a couple things that's kind of, kind of cool about this. Really, the main thing that I think is cool about this is, and I, and I think like this, is when, when he went out onto the water in a boat to speak, I wonder if not only was it giving him room, that's the first thing, right, so he could speak to people, but secondly, have you ever been just in a lake playing on water and notice how it carries sound? It just carries voice. I'm thinking in the time before amplification, this was really cool that he's standing in a boat, and if the wind were traveling in towards the shore, he could speak and thousands of people could hear him over this lake. I think that's kind of neat. But see, there's something deeper that's going on in here. So I want to pick this up in Luke chapter 5 and verse 4. It says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So he's done speaking. He, he, uh, whatever he's preaching, we're not sure, he's saying. And he looks at Simon, who's in the boat, and he says to him, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, now let, let me go back and remind you that they were just on the shore doing what? Cleaning their nets because they were what? Done. Right? Now, look, what, look at this next uh, statement that Simon makes. Because... You've got to understand here, this is a very religious people, those who followed the Torah, right? They were, they were Jewish people. And so Jesus is recognized as a teacher or a rabbi, and so he wanted to be respectful. And so I believe in this next statement that Simon is trying to be respectful, but I think he wants Jesus to, hey, rabbi, why don't you do your rabbying? And I'm a fisherman, let me do my fishing. Okay, I want us to understand the backdrop of this. This is a man who possibly two, three, four generations in, this is what his family did. This was the family business. They were fishermen. Okay, look what he says. He says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Think about this. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now stop there for a second. Think about this. Peter knew what he was doing. Peter has been all over probably the best fishing spots on the lake. Do you think he probably knew his craft and his business? And yet Jesus says to him, after a full night of toil with nothing, he says, I want you to go onto the deep and I want you to cast your net again. In other words, I want you to get back to work. He says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Let me, let me say this, and hopefully this doesn't sound bad in church, but it's almost like he was saying, what you're asking me to do, it feels really stupid. Because I know my craft. Have you ever been there in life? Have you ever 
maybe felt the voice of Holy Spirit saying something to you and you're like, this feels dumb, this feels stupid, this doesn't feel right. How about just things that are said in the Bible? Jesus says, in, in one point of, of, of his, the Gospels, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. And you read that. Have you ever read that at a time and went, well, obviously you haven't seen the division in our nation, Jesus. Because although this was, you know, over 2,000 years ago, we know that we can apply these things to our life today, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus, obviously you don't know what's going on. Maybe it was different 2,000 years ago. Sure it was under Roman occupation and heavy taxation and crucifixion. Yeah, much different. First world problems, can anyone say that, right? How about this? Jesus says at one point, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who persecute you. And sometimes my answer has been, uh, you don't know who I work with. Some of you, you don't know who I live with. You don't know who I'm in relationship with, Jesus. This feels really dumb right now. This feels stupid. This feels awkward. I feel like, why would I even do that? It goes against the grain of what makes sense to me. Is this making sense? You know, at one point in Scripture, we're told to not lean upon our own understanding. And there's times I've read this and thought, well, if I don't, then my bills won't get paid, Jesus. <laughs> right? So sometimes, whether it's Holy Spirit prompting you in your heart or it's something that we read in Scripture, even though it's being said to us, it just feels stupid. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't make any sense. Well, prayer one is this. And again, just something we need to say sometimes to remind ourselves is, Lord, help me to trust and obey you even when I don't understand. I know it seems simple, but there's times where I had to say, Lord, listen, help me to trust and to obey. Step out in what you're asking me to do. Step out in the life that you've called me to live and follow you, you know, your example in life, even when I don't understand. Because there's a lot of things we're not going to understand in life. And I know that the Western evangelical idea sometimes of church and Christianity is to try and understand everything. Sometimes you just won't. And you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to understand things that maybe you never will. Not that we can't pursue truth and wisdom and revelation in areas, but sometimes we just have to say, okay, in this moment, I don't understand, but help me to trust and obey you even though... I don't understand. And we see this prayer lived out when Simon let down his nets. Look at this verse 5. Master, we've worked so hard all night and haven't caught anything, but, say but, this is a big but, and I cannot lie, because you say so, look at this, I will let down the nets. Now, I know this seems like a simple story. It's easy to read over things, but look how powerful this is. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Everything within me says this is stupid. It doesn't make sense. You don't even know the night that we had. I'm trying to explain this to you. But nevertheless, because you say so, I will let down my net. Say, let down your net. Look at the person next to you and say, let down your net. See, in Peter's mind, this doesn't make any sense to me. But because you say so, something really interesting, um, I, you know, I like to dig around and stuff, and I like to look at the original language. This word, when he says master, master, we worked hard all night. When he says that, you know that uh, Luke is the only gospel that uses this specific 
Greek word. He uses it seven times in the gospel. But he literally is, we could say it like this in context, he's announcing that Jesus is the skipper or captain of his boat. He says it in a way where he's like, I know that I've done this for generations, and I know what I'm doing, and I'm hearing what you're asking, and and I'm letting you know what happened last night. But at the same time, he's paying honor to him, saying, you're the captain of my boat. From now on, you call the shots. I think that's pretty cool. So we already see that something's happening within his his mind. There's this paradigm shift that's beginning to happen, because although he would say, I understand my craft, I understand fishing, Because you said so, I will let down my net. You know that you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately? You ever been in those situations where maybe you just feel in your heart, Holy Spirit's asked you to do something, maybe it's out in public somewhere, and you're just like, I I don't understand this. But you know in those moments, even though you can't completely understand, you can completely obey immediately. And it's in those moments let me say this, where I haven't, that I look back and wish I had. But then you've ever stepped out by faith, even though it felt stupid and felt awkward and did, and later you're like, now it makes sense what you asked me to do in that moment. That's powerful. So how do we grow in trust? How do we learn to trust in God, especially a God that we can't see? Well, here's a clue. Getting clingy. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Na, 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 getting clingy with it. Can you, how's that sign work? Getting clingy with it. <laughs> it's funny, I was, I was studying this yesterday, and that's, I don't know, I saw getting clingy, and I heard getting clingy with it in my head. I must be a lot like my dad. He just goes off in songs. I hear everything in song, man. I guess musicians do that. But there's this idea of being clingy. Now, you know, think about this. If you're a, a girlfriend or boyfriend or a spouse, you really don't want to live a life where you're clingy. Has anyone had a girlfriend or boyfriend that's clingy? Or seen someone that's clingy, because I know you're not, right? Just someone who seems like they just they need to have you all the time. And that's great for, for a certain amount of time, but sometimes you're like, I need my space, right, Kay? I mean, her and I have a similar personality. We're, we're, we're okay with some space. We like that space. And sometimes I find it hard, I don't know if you do, to maybe be gracious with those who are clingy. Like, okay, this is good. I want to show them love. I want to show grace in those moments. But, you know, there's one person in life, and because of my personality, it's been really hard at times to do this. There's one person in life that we should be clingy with. Look at the person next to you and say, get clingy. That person is God. Getting clingy with God. In fact, in the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, we read this, verse 5, trust in the Lord. Say trust. Yeah. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Here it is. And lean not on your own understanding. Now, this word trust in the Hebrew is the word batach. And and I I love this word because it means to have full confidence and security. It means to cling to. So think about this. Cling to. Have full confidence and security in the Lord with all your heart. And look at this. And lean not on your own understanding. See, it's in those moments. Do you know why we feel that feeling of this is awkward or weird or stupid? It's because it doesn't line up with our way of thinking, our understanding. And so in these moments, it's being clinging to him. It's trusting in him. It's having full confidence and security in him to not lean on our own understanding. And it goes on to verse 6 to say, in all your ways. Is it some? No. Is it maybe a few if you feel like it? 
No, it's in all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, this word direct in the Hebrew literally means to make the road straight or to smooth out the roughness. Think about this. So how do we in life make our path straight, straighten out that road and make it less bumpy, smooth out the road? It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, in the past, I've read this and I thought, okay, I need to acknowledge God. So I give him kudos. I pay honor. I'm like, okay, I acknowledge you're there, right? You're there. But in the Hebrew, it's the word yada, and it means to know by experience. That's a little more than just, oh, yeah, I see you. I know you're there. I pay honor. I give you props, right? It's to know by experience. In all your ways, as you're clinging or trusting in the Lord, in all your ways, know him by experience, and then he shall direct your paths. Now, if we think about the idea of straightened out roads, maybe it could mean something like you have a, a clear vision of where you're going. Because how many know this, that, and I've said this before, wouldn't it be great, you know, you, you pray the salvation prayer, and now, you know, you're, you're one with the Lord, and this is all great, and then it's like you hear the angel voices, and then a rainbow pops out, and the unicorn flies over, and life's great. Wouldn't that be awesome? But how many know that even if you know who you are in Christ or beginning to know, how many know that we have a rough road sometimes? So when I, when I think about this idea that the more that I experience him, to know him by experience, it begins to make a straightened road. I'm, I'm actually seeing this. I was seeing this this morning as I was going over my notes, that maybe it's helping you, your vision, to see things clear, more clear to know where you're going. And, and maybe it's not so much that the road just magically, all the bumps disappear, but maybe when you're with the Lord, it just smooths out the ride. Has anyone ever taken a road trip? Come on. Now, have you ever taken a road trip with someone who you wish you hadn't taken a road trip with, like your children? Right? But you're going to Disney World. Yeah, it would have been so much easier without the kids because they're arguing in the back and they're making it a really rough road, right? A really rough ride. Now, have you ever taken a road trip with someone, though, and you guys just click? You just, you have like so much in common and you're having these conversations and this 10 or 12 hour drive feels like two or three. Anyone? You're just like, wow, we didn't even stop at the rest stop. Of course you did. But it was so great. See, that's what I see here is when you experience this life with the Lord and you begin to know who he is and you begin to open up, it's like the road. Maybe there's still bumps along the way, but man, when you have the Lord on the trip with you, which by the way, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Come on, somebody. It makes that road less bumpy, just a little bit smoother. I've said this to several people, I can't imagine going through things in life without connection to the divine, without knowing that I have a connection. It doesn't make everything perfect, but it certainly makes it easier than it would have been all by myself. Because how many know that people can fail you? People can give up on you. People can betray you. People can try to say the right things, but just not get you. But see, the divine knows you. God understands you. And he's always there on the road with you. In order to cling to God, think about this, though. 
This is huge. In order to cling to God, think about the idea of clinging, you have to let go of whatever else you may be holding on to. This is the hard part. It's easy to preach on a Sunday morning, cling to God, trust God, hallelujah, brother, and then we walk out. But see, in order to cling on to God fully, we have to let go of other things. Maybe we need to let go of, I'll make this personal, sometimes I need to let go of my own understanding. Sometimes I need to let go of my own wisdom or what I think is wisdom. Sometimes I need to let go of my own way of seeing myself in the world around me. Because many times God's like, I have a different vision than you have. It's a better vision for you. So trust in my wisdom and understanding and the way that I see things. Does this make sense this morning? Clinging to you. Say, I'm clinging. So what can we cling to? Well, for starters, we can cling to his promises. Cling to his love. Cling to his goodness and his truth. Cling to what he says about you. It's in those times where you have worry and frustration where you say, you know what, I'm going to cast my care on you because you care for me. That's, that's part of clinging. It's trusting because these are the words that were told by the Apostle Peter, who I, was, I believe was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, listen, I care for you so much. Cast those cares on me because I care for you. We're told that, that he wants to provide all our needs according to his riches and glory, not our own riches or what we have or you know, our wherewithal. And that he's working all things for our good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see this? And again, I'll remind you, we can cling to this. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Even though I'm having a moment right now where I'm not sure where you are or how you're working through this situation, I can trust this, that you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. And because I trust you, I'll let down my nets. I don't know the outcome, but I'm going to choose to be obedient and let down my nets. Listen to me. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. There's so many times I felt like I was being moved to go a certain way, and I was trying to figure out what would the outcome be, and I had to realize that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to trust, is to obey, is to take that step of faith. Right? Faith, trust, saying, I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm unsure. Uh, you know, look, mom, no hands. You ever felt like that when, when you're stepping out in things? But your responsibility isn't the outcome. It's just simply saying yes and being obedient and trusting and taking that step. Look at this in verse 6 of Luke chapter 5. And when they had done this, what'd they do? Let down their nets. Look at this. They caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Look at this, verse 7. So they signaled to their partners, hey, yo, get out here in the other boat to come and help. Look at this. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. What? These are experienced fishermen who, I mean, this is what they do every single day, right? They're, they're sitting on the shore. They toiled all night. They're cleaning their nets. They're hanging out for the day. Maybe we'll do better tomorrow night. And, and Jesus says, listen, just let down your nets. Peter's like, okay, Jesus, trying to be respectful here. Because you say, I will do. 
And look what happened. They have this net-breaking, boat-loaded fish. It's amazing, right? So prayer one is this. What is it? Lord, help me trust you even when I don't understand. So that's what Peter did. Right? I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you. But here's prayer number two. This, this will help you to trust. Lord, help me surrender what I cannot control. This is not easy. This is really hard for me. I love to be in control of things and situations and know what's going to happen. I have 16 points to get to this place. I want to know the details. And when I don't know that stuff, it feels really uneasy. It feels stupid. I feel awkward. I'm like, no, no, no. Before we do this, I, I used to joke because uh, Pete and I, uh, we used to, um, he's my best bud in the world, but we used to work together and we would get to the job site. We were working in construction and we'd get there and this is how we would work. This is why we worked out so great for each other because I'm all about details and he's like, what are details, right? Right? It's good to have a friend like that, especially when you're very detail oriented, but the other way around, Correct. So we'd walk in, and we'd get ready. I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do today? And this is what's on the list. I'm like, okay. So then I start coming up with the plan, and I have all these points, and I'd be talking for five minutes, sipping coffee. He'd go, hey, I got an idea. Like what? He goes, why don't we just start working, and then we'll see where we get. Because I would have spent two hours planning the work, and but Pete would have been working for two hours already. Now, of course, he'd be working on the wrong thing, so it's good to have a list. But see, together, it worked out because... Here's the list. Here's the work. Work together. Let's get on this. So a, a two-hour conversation became five or ten, and then we had a plan, and we went for it, right? It's really important. But look at this. Lord, help me surrender what I cannot control. Sometimes we just can't control the situations, right? And so what happens at this point? Peter has this net-breaking load of fish sink in the boats, and it says that he fell to his knees and said, go away, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Now, we can just read over that, but I can't. I'm like, what, what does it have to do with fish? What does it have to do with your business? But then I thought for a moment, because religion over the years has majored on the subject of sin consciousness. And, and it, even today, right, it was the same as 2,000 years ago. They, they were in a sacrificial system where you'd go once a year and you'd offer a sacrifice to cover sin for a year. But then there was always, it was a creeping back up. Oh, we're eight months in, we're 10 months in, we're 11 months in. Oh, here we go again. Why? There was this idea of sin consciousness. And this is, this is very prevalent today even in, in systems of religion where we're trying to convince people of their, their, their sin Versus their sonship. And that's why here, on purpose, I want to speak to the son, which includes you ladies, by the way. right? The Bible is very patriarchal, so it's written in the context of he's and, uh, and, and male patriarch, patriarchy. But that includes all of us. I want to speak to the son in people rather than the sin in people. That's what Jesus did. He would call that out. So religion over the years, it really has majored on the subject of sin consciousness. I mean, the moment something goes wrong, guilt trips are empowered. I usually joke about, you know, someone's like, they're on their way to work on a Monday morning and they get a flat tire. They're like, Shh, man, it's my fault. I haven't been reading my Bible enough. I didn't get enough in the offering. Obviously, you know, the devil's getting at me now. It's like, no, you, you ran over a nail. You know, I, we don't have to over-spiritualize everything. You ran over a nail, just go to discount. They're going to tell you you have a hole in the tire. It's not a, de a demon, it's a nail, right? 
And so, so many times we can do this because guilt trips are empowered when we're sin conscious. And so, Simon's response to me is quite surprising, at least to me, because he witnesses the teaching and the ministry of Jesus right there in his boat. He gets this huge catch that he can't claim his own credit for. And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He apparently felt a lot more familiar and comfortable, I believe, to account the previous night's toil with no fish and no success as his own sinfulness. He's trying to blame himself. But look what Jesus says. This is so cool. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right, dude, but now that I'm here, it's all good. No, no. He says, don't be afraid. It's like he's changing the subject. Let's not go there with the religious sin conscious thing. Don't be afraid. Look at this. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, this is huge because he's calling Peter to follow him. So obviously Jesus isn't seeing him as just this sin-wretched man who is unworthy. He's calling him in the ministry with him. This is powerful. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Look at this. So they pulled their boats up on shore. This is huge. Left everything, say everything, and followed him. Now think about this. What is a net? What does a net represent to Peter? It's his provision. It's his security. It's his future. Think about this. Now, this is how I think when I read stories like this. My mind immediately (laughs) said, you know, okay, he just got this huge load of fish. It was sinking at least two boats. How much money was that worth? Does anyone think like that? Like I'm thinking, okay, so what is a normal catch? I don't know. I mean, is it, is it a day or two worth of pay? Is it a week? Is it two weeks? So what would two boats with nets breaking be? Would that be a month, two months, a year? I don't know. And he walks away from that. But I don't know. Does anyone else think like that? Like he walks away from this. Because again, the, the net for Peter, it represented his provision, his security, and his future. But first, he, the first thing he did with these nets is he let them down, right? It's like he said, okay, Lord, I, I have this provision, the security is future. You're asking me to use this, so I'm going to be obedient and use this. So first he lets them down, but then he lays them down. Th- this is pretty major. This is different than just letting down. This is laying down. Now, I'm not saying that we should just all quit our jobs now, right? And, and I mean, we should follow Jesus, but you don't have to quit your job. But maybe sometimes it's laying down and saying, okay, I don't even, I don't even want to take ownership of this, this provision of security in the future. I want to leave that on you. And as long as you're saying to utilize this, I will. But at any moment, if I need to walk away, I will. Do you, do you see the difference in his heart? It's a matter of letting go of your plans, maybe letting go of your understanding, it's clinging to God. In our own situations, maybe we need to do this because we struggle, right? We struggle about a place of security and a place of, of provision and, a, and our future, which there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, if you want to plan, plan away. I'm not saying it's wrong to make plans, but maybe within those plans, there are plans where you're obedient to let down when you're asked to let down and lay down when you're asked to lay down because you know that your true provision, your true security, and your true future lies in him. And I believe that's what Peter was learning on this day with Jesus. 
See, you don't always have the power to control, but you do always have the power to surrender. How many know we can't control everything, especially people? This is one thing I had to learn. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. It's not that you're controlling, but maybe you have a family member who they just always do something a certain way and it bothers you. Or you, there's a relationship you're in where you just wish this person, could, this person would change. And you try so hard to control somebody. But the truth is you can't control anyone. You can't. And so rather than take on all the, the, the mental pressure and, and letting someone just own all the space in your head, sometimes you just need to let that go and say, I can't control people, so why even try? Concentrate on yourself and your relationship with God. See, again, you don't always have the power to control. You just don't. But you do always have the power to do what? To surrender. And so I believe all of us are in a situation, again, because we're here this morning, we want to trust God. Amen? But sometimes it can be tough when you're trying to trust a God that you can't see. Maybe you're struggling to, to hear his voice. Maybe you're not seeing the results that you'd like to see. You know that, God, where are you? Why is this happening? I call it those, my God, my God moments. Come on, Jesus had one right on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the truth is God never had forsaken him. He didn't go anywhere, but that's how Jesus felt. You ever felt like that? My God, my God, where are you? Wondering, you know, why you don't have that job with benefits that you've been praying for, but you're still trusting. Maybe you're someone who's, you're fighting for your marriage, but it just seems like your spouse doesn't seem interested. That's not easy. Maybe you're someone who, you know, you've been praying, you've been talking to the Lord, you've been reading scripture, you've been focusing on him, but you're still continuing to battle depression. And you don't know why. Because you think you're doing all the right things that you're supposed to do, but why do I still struggle? You know, the most recent situation for me, that my God, my God moment, where I'm trusting God, or trying to trust God, is with my brother Jason. I mean, we prayed. For his healing. And, and no one could say to me, you didn't have enough faith, brother. That wasn't real faith, brother. No, I had faith. I had trust. I know that miracles happen. And I know that God could heal my brother Jason. Well, guess what? It didn't go the way I wanted. You know, and we... I think we say things sometimes to comfort ourselves, you know. Well, whether he's healed on this side of life or in the afterlife, he's healed now. I get it. I get all that. But I wish he was sitting back in the sound booth right now. Although, John, you're doing a wonderful job. We appreciate it. But I love seeing him every week running sound. I love having conversations with him, you know. But see, sometimes it's in those moments, it's, it's easy to question. And again, let it take up all the space in your head. Why? I don't understand. 
He was 45. He should be here right now. He's got at least 40 more years. Come on. And so we don't understand. That was my big trying to have trust, right? I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Come on. Jesus ran into a man like that. And Jesus didn't chastise him, did he? But see, in this situation and others throughout my life, I've learned that I don't know all. I don't have all the answers. I don't understand everything. I've learned that it's okay to question. It's okay to question God. But it's also okay to just not know. Sometimes we just don't know. We don't understand. And that's hard, isn't it? We have those moments. And so one thing that I came to the realization in my life is this, although my heart is hurting, my hope isn't, shake, isn't shaken. There can be moments where my heart is hurting and, and I'm truly going through inner turmoil and not understanding a situation. But in the midst of that, my hope isn't shaken. Because I know this, God didn't take my brother. I talk and speak at a lot of funerals and one thing I refuse to do, and listen, if this has happened or you're someone listening who does this, I'm not coming down on you, but I refuse to say things like God needed another flower in his garden. God needed another angel in heaven. All that does is, what's the Christian word? Tick people off. Because they're thinking, so God needed him more than I did and took him for a flower? Now, I know we're trying to console people and help people. But I know this in my heart of hearts, that God is a giver of good gifts, right? And Jesus came and conquered death, not to give death. So my brother Jason was not taken by God. At least that's my opinion. Because God's a good God. But in those moments when my heart is hurting, I do have this hope. And my hope is not shaken. And so in these situations where we are asked to let down our nets and lay down our nets, what will we do? Because it comes down to the, the question we ask at the beginning, can you trust God? Can you trust him? Even when you don't understand. I love that the psalmist says this in Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. How many are familiar with this verse? Now, if we want to be in, take this in context, I mean, horses and chariots represented one thing to these people thousands of years ago, right? Uh, armies, war, bigger armies, right? Empires to this day still do the same thing. We accumulate and accumulate, and we build an army, and then we accumulate some more, and then we build a bigger army to protect what we've accumulated. It's just it's how the world system works. And so what's being said here, and is beautiful by the psalmist, is some trust in all that they have and can protect and keep, but I trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's a great stance in life to have, isn't it? But we could say something even, let's bring it up to what we could say, some trust in the economy, some trust in who holds office or not, right? Man, if that person would have been in office, it would have been so much better. <laughs> well, you think, 
But, I mean, at the end of the day, they're world systems. They're men. They're women. They, they make decisions that are based on their own understanding, right? Uh, some trust in their bank account. They feel great if they got 2000 in there, but if it gets down to 500 or, you know, some of us are like, what? It's, it's in the negative, <laughs> right? Some trust in a bank account. Some trust in a medical report. But the psalmist is saying, but we trust, I trust in the name of the Lord our God. So think about in this situation, this story here with Peter, when did the miracle happen for him? It was at the end of a disappointing day. They were cleaning their nets. They were putting the boats away. Simon and the others had given up. I mean, it's done. This day is done. That's when the miracle happened. And maybe you're at a place where you feel like giving up. Maybe you're ready to throw in the towel, throw something away. Remember this, that your net represents your ability to make your own provision, security, and future. Maybe it's time to trust the Lord in this situation. Now, what I'm not saying is this. If you just trust hard enough and good enough, everything will be perfect. Because <laughs> sometimes it just isn't, right? In the case of my brother Jason, we trusted, we prayed. I don't understand the final outcome, but I know this. God didn't take him. I know where he is, right? I know that God still loves me. That's where I, where, what I hold in my heart. But maybe you're in a place where you've been praying and, and believing for something, and maybe you're at that place where you're, you're literally washing the net. You're just ready to give up. Maybe you're someone who has been fighting for your marriage, and it just feels like, like it's not going to last. Maybe you've had a dream or a desire you know, in your heart, and you've even felt that it was something that God has spoke to you in your life, but you're right at that place to just quit believing that it's even possible. Come on, I'm just being real this morning. We've all experienced these moments in life. And so at the end of the day, when, when they'd almost thrown away hope, what happens? The miracle happens. And so I can't stand up here today and guarantee you that if you just hold out, if you just hold out, Lord, 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 if you just hold out, it's all going to be perfect. I can't say that. I can't guarantee that. But I know this, that the best thing we can do in all these situations is say, Lord, help me to trust even when I don't understand. And help me to completely surrender anything that I can't control. Those have been the best prayers for me lately. So again, prayer one is this, Lord, help me trust even when I don't understand. Say that with me. Lord, help me trust and obey you even when I don't understand. And then prayer two is this, Lord, help me surrender what I cannot control. Say that with me. Lord, help me surrender what I cannot control. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.